Today's episode of Group Chat is brought to you by Turo. Turo is a peer-to-peer car sharing marketplace where you can book any car you want, wherever you want, from a community of local hosts. From exotic sports cars to practical daily drivers, you can choose the best car for you, whatever your budget. Download the Turo app, that's T-U-R-O, on the App Store or Google Play, or visit Turo.com. Get $25 off your first trip when you sign up for Turo and use promo code RINGER at checkout. Terms apply. Basketball is very good. The Sixers miss Markel Fultz. Russell Westbrook isn't playing hard enough. The Nuggets should play Isaiah Thomas. Basketball is very good. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is the group chat. I am Justin Verrier and joining me tonight in this late night episode, we have Haley O'Shaughnessy. Late night. It's 8.30. Chris Ryan is also here. What's up? But like for you, Chris, it's late. (laughs) This is my bedtime. Uh, honestly, I go to bed as quickly as possible. How, now. What's like you? We don't have to do this. We're, we're gonna derail the podcast. Well, you know, it's late. We're Wait, loose. no. For by all means, let's talk about when you guys you over bleep age people go to bed. I'm 41. It's okay. It <laughs> says it in my Twitter name. It's 77. Isaac, you can totally cut all this. Uh, I just want to create some editing work for Isaac right off the jump. I'll tell you this. Usually, like 11:30. But recently, I've been indulging myself, allowing myself to step to like 1231 because oh. it's like my life is shifting more towards nights. You got to treat yourself. Yeah. Every now and then. Haley? Keep yourself young. <laughs> Honestly, like 10. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start over. <laughs> no, this is, this is great. This is great content. Uh, so tonight, a robust slate of NBA games, starting with the Sixers and the Nets, uh, the Nuggets and the Spurs. We'll get to that one. Uh, and as we're recording this, the Warriors are blowing out the Clippers. We're just going to hope that the Clippers don't storm back here. It's not like that's ever happened in recent history. Uh, but some interesting stuff happens in this first game. The Sixers win 131, Nets 115. It was in the balance for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Joel Embiid did not play in this game, and we could talk about the repercussions there. But I thought it was really interesting what happened late in the game. It seemed like they kind of figured things out. Did that seem like it to you? I thought this was a a game where we had like stages of like an optimized version of the Sixers. So like, you know, in some ways, Joel not playing while annoying and probably not beneficial to the team because he's an incredible player. It was like clarifying. So you don't have him beat tonight. You don't have to worry about him being out there. You don't have to worry about him not being at 100%. You don't have to worry every time he hits the deck, he's not going to get up. He's just sitting over there farting on the bench. And <laughs> That was so him. Was, we can all agree that Which that was him. we're referring to a, a clip from the TNT cameras cutting to the bench. Him and Amir Johnson maybe just need to be separated <laughs> yeah, on the bench. I'm surprised that they were sitting next to each other again. <laughs> Somebody yeah. smelt it. Other people denied. Yeah, dealing uh, it. We are not sure who supplied. So the, to start the game, they don't have Embiid out there, and it just immediately looks like Simmons is more aggressive. Obviously, there's like the fake bulletin board material with Jared Dudley uh, saying— I wouldn't call that fake. Well, I mean, why taunt him then? I mean, like, I just think—I mean, Simmons should bring it every night. If he's the kind of player we think he is, that the whole thing for him needs to be consistently delivering on a night-to-night basis, which has sometimes been the knock against him. And then Justin, I feel like as we arrive towards the fourth quarter— Brett Brown happened upon another, even more optimized version of his team when Boban fouled out, and instead of going back to Greg Monroe, who had been an absolute disaster for this team for most of the game, he went small, 
and the Sixers just annihilated the Nets. Yeah, for some reason, Brett Brown decided to not shake up basically the foundation of what they've kind of rolled out there this entire postseason, going with Monroe in that starting lineup. Uh, you know, we've been critical around these parts of Brett Brown, particularly lately. I would kind of been on the fence because I don't really like to critique coaches because I don't know as much. There's probably like a bunch of things I'm missing in the broad like landscape of things. However, these past few games, Brett Brown has been on one. And this one was a particular, like this was the clear example of this where they stuck to the big man in, in the center. Uh, the Nets yep. kind of chewed up Monroe uh, in the pick and roll. And then all of a sudden they couldn't use a big man and Ben Simmons was unleashed like we probably have never seen before. Not in a playoff game for sure. Not in a playoff game. So they went small. Ben was effectively the center. Uh-huh. They used him creatively. He was out in space. It's almost like he was in a like a dewy meadow just romping around this entire time. And as a result, he ends up with 31 points, which I think is one below his career high. And went to the line 11 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm no coach, but Greg Monroe, as a volume scorer, he had 13 <laughs> shots tonight, which is... The same as Ben Simmons did. That's yeah. A, it's absurd. It's one thing to put him out that. there, and then to give him those shot opportunities is a completely like ridiculous thing. To be fair, if he's out there and they're just assuming that he is simply subbing for the Embiid role, mm-hmm. that's what that's who they're going to feed. But that, that is, that but that's in, the problem. in and of itself is yeah. an indictment of Brown if he's just like, Greg Monroe, I will sub you in in the Embiid role. Like, that's just not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be like, Greg Monroe, stand out there, be a big body, and get out of the way, and then rebound and play defense. And now— and he I, gets tons of touches and takes 13 shots. That's nuts. Which, by the way, like, if that's what you want, go with Boban. Uh-huh. I guess benefit of the doubt is that maybe they didn't know Embiid wasn't going to be there until the last minute. That's bad, too. Also, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. there's been this mysterious, like, hey, he might have a knee problem, and we're, we're all surprised by it. I just think that you need to decide who you are and you need to just do it. If he's 75, 65% and it's not going to risk long-term injury, so you're saying to yourself, well, we need him out there and we want him to be out there. I There's something about this story that, it, of course, like like any Sixers story, I feel like we're not getting the whole thing. Gons did a piece on Embiid today on The Ringer. And he, you know, he talked to people and he was he was around and he was like, it's a pretty loose camp right now, except about the Embiid stuff. But I felt like... Just rip the Band-Aid off. If you, if you don't feel comfortable playing him, don't play him at all. Don't put him out there for 25 minutes. Don't put him on a minutes restriction. Don't kind of put your hands in your pockets and wonder, like, what you should do. Just don't play him. Yeah. It's the Nets. You should be able to beat the Nets with Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler, and Ben Simmons. I do kind of understand not being transparent about a player's health status in the playoffs. Yeah, but this isn't like the Patriots going into an AFC championship. Like, I agree with you, but, like, what are they hiding? It's Joel Embiid. I know. It kind of almost makes it seem like it's bigger. Yeah. I think the the bright side, though, is this did seem like a light bulb moment. I think for the course of the game, they were beating them by sheer talent. Mm-hmm. Tobias Harris was 6-for-6 six six from three-point land. Uh, J.J. Redick finally contributed a big game. He had 26 points. Uh, Jimmy Butler still floating. We could definitely talk about that later. But as soon as Ben got out into open space... They like it just he seemed like a different player, and I still I think that they found something that will work while Embiid is out. I guess the flip side of that is I do wonder what will happen now that Ben sees what else is out there when he's playing his style of basketball, and and Joel isn't there to clog up the paint because you're even seeing this in the game too, where in order to get Ben more involved, they were almost like giving him a full head of steam going into the offense. There's always this gap in between 
the half court line and where people are guarding Ben Simmons because they're basically dragging back. Saying go ahead and shoot from 25 feet. Right. And so what he was doing, he was just getting a full head of steam into that. So he would have momentum. I think he's better on the run and it worked. Now he has the entire court and it looks like the Ben Simmons that we all fell in love with his rookie year where he's just, he's just always moving. And I think that's what you need from him. But if Joel comes back, that automatically is gone. Haley, don't you think it's a little bit like it's a good opponent for that kind of game, though? Like the Nets want to run. The Nets are young. They're maybe not the most defensively disciplined team in the world. It allows Ben to like gallop up and down and kind of see all these little like dump off passes or no look passes or pocket passes that he can do. Sure. The Nets have a lot of young team problems. I also think in the context of the Sixers win, we should probably consider a lot of Nets had less than ideal games. Joe Harris didn't make a three. Kirk didn't make a three. D'Angelo Russell was two for nine from deep. Spencer Dinwiddie won from four. I mean, a lot of their typical contributors were a it's little the bit second off. The second of three games so far that have basically swung on three-pointers made. So yeah. the Sixers were like, story. like three for 25. That's definitely not the Sixers story. No, but, but I think the that they story. would have won game one. Although interesting hadn't. today because for the longest time, Redick and Tobias Harris were the, well, they finished the second and third leading scores, but Tobias Harris had 29 points and J.J. Redick had 26. So that's the question that I was going to ask is like we immediately, whenever Joel is absent or present, you look at how it affects Ben. Mm-hmm. But I wonder whether or not there's a little bit more of an equilibrium to the offense for guys like Toby and J.J. Well, if they weren't hitting this shot, their shots tonight, the Sixers would have lost. Sure, sure. And we wouldn't have cared about Ben Simmons. But we literally, like, the Sixers don't need J.J. Redick if he's not hitting his shots. So it's like, no. that's like, that's all he does. Mm-hmm. So I, I just was kind of curious. I'd, I'd like to go back and watch a little bit of it, knowing what I know, how it's going to end up, and see, like, does Tobias have more room to play just as much as Ben does? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the flip side of this is they probably rolled it out toward the end out of necessity, yes, but they probably couldn't have done it early on because they don't have enough bodies in order to play like this the entire time. Well, that was my question is, how are they starting the next game if Embiid isn't playing in it? This is the fascinating thing about playoff basketball to me. Is like, there's if it's always the same these, thing like, as this game, that's just such a mistake. Yeah, but like I always find it really interesting when coaches happen upon these lineups and then it's like, okay, so like, are you going to be tempted by this? You want to go with this in the first quarter? You want to make this your first like substitution lineup? When do you bring Mike Scott in? <laughs> You know, like, do you start with Greg Monroe and sit there and, like, it's 13-7 and you're like, okay, now I'm going small. Or do you wait till the second or third round of substitutions? It'll be interesting to see how Brett does this. And it, honestly, it'll be interesting to see if Brett learns from this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the old death lineup problem. It's so effective. And I, I, I don't know what the, the net rating on this, but it must have been off the charts. But when do you decide to roll it out? Because the big advantage the Nets are always going to have is just their depth. You saw at this game mm-hmm. where Karis LeVert pretty much, like, Russell wasn't really there. Didn't mean he was coming and going, but LeVert really took over for the Nets, which mm-hmm. was encouraging to see because throughout most of the second half, after he came back from that kind of devastating injury, he did not look like himself. He turned it on late, but this this looks like the type of guy that they could have. But So they have all of these ball handlers who can chew you up from the outside, and especially with the Sixers who have all these big men who aren't going to be able to keep up with them. Uh, there is that clear advantage. Now, the counter for the Sixers would be to play more like this, but they literally cannot. Mm-hmm. They do not have enough players. He won't play Jonah Bolden. He won't play some of. He won't play TJ. Yep, they've shortened the rotation in a very specific way, and he's he's dropped a couple of guys like TJ. Zaire's not going to get many minutes. Jonah's out of the rotation. Uh, Jonathan Simmons didn't play tonight. So you're essentially he did. He took one shot. He, he took was in one for shot. two minutes. Okay, yeah. so yeah, so Jonathan Simmons did come in at the end of the game, I think, but. Yeah, it's Ennis, it's Mike Scott, 
and it's Boban. Yeah, those that's the bench. And that's going to create problems down the road for this team. I I don't know. I at the same time I'm encouraged, but I still think the same issues that have shown up these past 3 games are still going to exist. It feels a little bit early for him to be going like I'm playing my eight best players and everybody else is sitting. It, it, this feels a little bit more like the kind of thing that should be happening in the Eastern Conference Finals. But maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I, I, I look around, I see a little bit more of a, like a larger rotation happening in other series. Um, but I think the Knicks are competitive, so I don't really think that this is like an embarrassment for the Sixers. Like, I think the Sixers are, are going to win the series probably pretty handily. But it'll be interesting to see, like, where do we stand on Brett after this series? I think people are ready to be second-guessing him a lot, but I think there's other stuff happening. It just seems like other stuff is happening behind the scenes. There are other avenues where the Nets could get another game, too. And, Mm -hmm. you know, let's say that that he does feel pressure to go small for the majority of the game. The Nets have a bunch of great drivers. You know, they can really get inside. And if he doesn't win this series convincingly, I don't think it necessarily matters that they won enough for everyone to just no, I think be in Brett's favor want, again. They want the Sixers to be doing to the Nets what the Bucks are doing to the Pistons, even though the Pistons don't have Blake. They don't have Blake. It's unrealistic because the Nets are a better team than everyone thinks they are. And when your offense revolves around threes and driving that mm-hmm. much, you're going to have great games. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it seems like Brett is coaching tight and Atkinson is coaching loose. He's willing to play the hot hand. He's willing to try things a little though bit. Though he didn't go with Levert as uh, Levert in the third. Right, yeah, but even when the the Sixers went small, the the Nets went super small. Yeah, yeah. With, with Rondé Hollis at the center. I'm, now I'm, we'll see what ends up happening, but I mean, this problem isn't going to go away for the Sixers because their next matchup, if they get past, it's exacerbated. Yeah, it's, it's exacerbated. They play the Raptors. It's exacerbated. This is what Nick Nurse does. Yeah, he pretty much did not have a, a rotation the entire. Well, he had certain rotations, but he liked to freelance. And as we saw in the first two games against the Magic, he still likes to do that mm-hmm. to his detriment in the first game. But I think that's gonna. It's if if he's already if Brett Brown is already struggling with this, I, I just don't think like what's gonna happen in the next round. The other aspect of the Raptors' depth is we so often think of depth as you know a larger rotation, but the Raptors are different because their players are all so versatile. Yeah. So that adds another element of depth that the Sixers just don't have. Yeah. Like we me, were just saying about JJ. Same you. thing with Ben. I agree with you. Like to me, it's like depth is like multiplicity of looks mm-hmm. and like styles that you can deploy as much as it's just so like hey teams. we just have 11 guys yeah. you know what I mean like it's like hey here's the small lineup here's the fast lineup here's the defense lineup like I, I like it when teams can do that how far do the Sixers get the second uh, round the second round I mean like I think they have a shot against the Raptors anything's possible is there any hope like on a scale from 1 to 10 if where's Lowry gets if Lowry or, or sorry not Lowry <laughs> maybe if Lowry gets hurt then they will win if Kawhi gets hurt what will be fascinating is, like, what's the deal with Embiid? Is this a matter of him getting, like, a week of rest and he'd be fine next round? I don't think he'll be in shape, and I don't think he'll be 100%. But I would sit him for the rest of the Brooklyn series if you thought he would be exponentially improved in the second round. Well, they can win this series without him. Absolutely. They should. Yeah. Well, let's turn to the next series on the board here, to the other elite young point guard in the NBA. We're talking about Derek White, this of course. This is so dope. <laughs> this is really cool. This is like, it's been, I, I'm trying to remember the last star that got made. I mean, not the, you know. The like, last Spurs boy to man to hero. <laughs> <laughs> but I just mean like the last guy that like for a lot of national audiences, they're probably like, who is this guy? No, yeah. seriously, he was drafted 29th in 2017 at 23 years old. He played a full four years of basketball and he was in the G League for like 
24 games yeah. last season. Yeah, I think he was originally like a Division II guy. I'm I'm pretty sure Pop said when they drafted him that like he didn't know like who he was. He didn't had never heard of the name Derek White and like who he was on the face of the earth mm-hmm. before this moment. And now he's probably their best player. Uh, he had 36 points tonight. The Spurs won 118 uh, to 108. They're up 2-1 now on the two-seeded Nuggets. I, Do we get a Jamal Murray update? Uh, does he still suck? Well, no, he's, he went out. He went out. Oh, because there was a pretty interesting moment where Murray came up lame a little bit. Seemed like he hurt his knee. The play still went on. Um, Denver had driven down the other end of the court. San Antonio got the ball back, and we're, Murray tried to get back into the defensive transition, transition defense, and Jakob Pedal um, basically picked him off at half court, and Murray did not like that. Yeah. Well, before that, he wasn't having a good game. <laughs> so, I don't think he had much effect on the Nuggets. Why don't you just retire Jamal Murray? How about that? <laughs> Man, I caped so hard for Jamal Murray going into that draft over Buddy Heald. Oh, yeah. He still has time. He's, look at He's way younger. Game. I mean, this is kind of what we expected. I, I said this before uh, last week on Heat Check that this is the type of series that I wanted to outsmart like the narrative. Like The narrative was set for both teams that the Nuggets were a little shaky, didn't have the experience. What do we know about Jamal Murray? Whereas the Spurs have the infrastructure, mm-hmm. and I think you're seeing that happen in real time to the point where the Spurs, I'm starting to look at their roster, and over the next couple of years, even they're set up in ways that like I just didn't expect them to. Which to is remarkable because if play, after the trade, we were just like, wow, the the wheels have finally stopped turning. They yeah. haven't built for the future. They're and everyone wanted them to make a trade for Kawhi that had so many young players in the package. And then they traded for DeMar, who was, you know, in the same spot that Kawhi is in terms of their career. And it just seemed kind of like, oh, Pop wants to win more, one more time. But then, no. You look and they have so much to look forward to. DeJounte Murray, Derek White. They're not even using Lonnie Walker. No. Right. Yeah. And so they have Rudy all— Rudy Gay. Do you guys watch <laughs> this team? Are you guys like— do you think this is a boring Spurs team, an inspiring Spurs team? Like, it's funny because you think you're boring till you watch them, right? And you see DeMar blow past someone to the go to the basket or pull up. I always just think the Spurs, I think that there's such an obvious ceiling on the Spurs that to me, I just want someone else. I want something different because mm-hmm. I know that the Spurs aren't going to win at all. If that makes sense. They're no, kind of like the middle ground warriors. It would almost you be kind like of know unfair their outcome. if they got to the conference finals, I think. Like if they were to beat Portland in the next round, I right. would almost Whereas, be like, God, really? <laughs> like, Right. Whereas Portland has been working for this yeah, forever. And like they they have all their something. stars. Well, they don't have Nurkic anymore. But yeah, if the Nuggets advance, then it would be like, okay, great. Then they're going to get experience mm-hmm. in the postseason that they can use next year. They're really young. But with the Spurs, it just feels like there's, there's such a ceiling. Although— like we just said, they do have young players who are getting experience now. There's something to be said about expectations, and the Spurs really haven't had much throughout this entire season. They've kind of plotted along, and they've done, they've kind of handled their business. Uh, but it, it's funny that we're talking about them as kind of the young upstart team with this bright future ahead, and some of these like guards that are so crucial to the team popping when that it's was supposed to be Denver. Denver. Yeah, uh, and I believe it was Jonathan Charks in, in our Slack earlier uh, today was just like how much the expectations have kind of just like completely warped our opinion of the Nuggets. Uh, and as you've seen, they probably shouldn't at this point in their trajectory be a two seed. No. They should probably be the seven against the, you know, the old guard. Yeah, Spurs. the sliding doors of like if Carmelo never signs with the Rockets and the Rockets wind up as the two seed anyway, <laughs> like 
then the Denver narrative is totally different if they're just like at the three taking care of business against Oklahoma or something. But instead, well, and who knows what would have happened because the the sure. seating was so tight in the middle. Sure. Yeah, I think it's kind of a bummer because there shouldn't be that much. I don't think there should be that much pressure on Jokic and Murray. I mean, Murray's having this huge. I don't know if we want such a yo-yo series for him, right? Well, yeah, I think an interesting question though is we talked about Jokic this entire season. As like an, an MVP, MVP candidate, yeah. Should we not be holding him accountable the fact that he can't get everybody in motion here? It's also a real regular season postseason situation where I think like the passing lanes are a little little tighter and maybe like the looks that were there earlier in the season, the cuts, the little the little spaces are just a little closed up. You know what I mean? Like the Spurs aren't like that dynamite of a defense. It's not the best Spurs defense I've ever seen. It was it just very sound, it was just inconsistent. Yeah, it was inconsistent. On the road and, and at home. Yeah. Well, we talked about the Spurs future. How worried are we about the Nuggets' future? Because this this past offseason, they specifically traded picks in order to really kind of cement their core, to pay Will Barton, mm-hmm. to pay Nikola Jokic a year early in order to lock him up long-term. At this point, they kind of are who they are. They still have Michael Porter coming that's off the bench. That's what I was going to say, is like Michael Porter becomes like kind of a big X factor for them. Mm-hmm. Because that's like a guy under their control who could do the kinds of things that they need, like a wing who could add 25 a night at his best, but who knows with back injuries with kids like that. I'm not worried at all. They are super young still, as we've mentioned. This is their first playoffs as this iteration of this team. Millsap has a team option next year. Uh, Will Barton doesn't seem completely healthy. He's a completely different player than he was last year. Last year, he kind of did it all for them. This year, you know, he went down with injury early in the season, and he is not the confident do-it-all player he has been. Think about their three most important players, or even their four, or even their entire starting lineup. Uh, they're either Young, or Will Barton, or Paul Millsap. Yeah. I'm not worried about them at all. Uh, I don't think that either they're in this tight situation that it seems like they are. It seemed like they were this offseason because of Millsap. And also, they're, they have a lot of tradable pieces. They just do. And so they, they definitely have an avenue of, no, we like can the open this Beasley's, up. Beasley's, the Monty Morris's, We can stuff, open, yeah. yeah, they could definitely open this up. I'm not worried about them, but this is definitely not their year. This would That's be, for they, sure. They would also not be the first team to get their asses handed to them by Popovich. Sure. Like no. They came in out of the regular season feeling pretty good about themselves, and then they just get carved up by a Spurs team. So this is kind of a take, but I actually don't think it's that hot anymore. I wonder if Murray being hurt might be the best thing for them because they'll play more Monty Morris. You might see a little bit more Malik Beasley, and Beasley had 20 tonight. Morris has been probably if not the best backup point guard in the league all season, but one of them. The best. I would go ahead and say the best. There's just like, they have these guys there. It's just, they're clogged up because of Murray. And with Murray, it's such an interesting conversation because we're in this era where anyone can be anything. Jokic is a point guard. He's a doughboy, like seven footer, and yet he's out here dropping dimes like he's Jason Kidd. Uh, Murray projects to be that similarly like versatile like, he can do a lot of different things. He just doesn't do one thing well consistently. And so, in a playoff series, that's kind of what I'm hoping for. And so, you start to see guys like Morris, like Beasley, start to pop. Whereas Murray, like, he just constantly seems like he's figuring things out. So, I, 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 But he is. He's, what, 22? Yeah, and I, I like that he puts himself in the most crucial situations, for better or for worse. Now, I say that as not a Denver fan, so I'm sure if you were closer to the situation, you probably would have, like, a more emotionally like volatile reaction towards him but guys like that who are like I have the ball at the end of the games are like they, they have like a, a nose for 
crucial moments, which I kind of like, I dig that. Yeah. Same. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about the Warriors-Clippers Game 3, which is ongoing right now, and then we're going to look ahead to some games on Friday. Today's episode of Group Chat is brought to you by Brilliant Earth. Brilliant Earth is the global leader in ethically sourced fine jewelry. Create your own custom engagement ring right on the website by picking from a variety of ethically sourced diamonds, gemstones, metal types, and settings. Brilliant Earth also offers wedding rings, vintage pieces, and many other handcraft jewelry items with exclusive, unique designs you can't find anywhere else. Brilliant Earth is passionate about cultivating a more transparent, sustainable, and compassionate jewelry industry. They go above and beyond the current industry standards to offer beyond conflict-free diamonds along with fine jewelry crafted from recycled precious metals. They even donate 5% of profits to help build a brighter future in communities impacted by the jewelry industry. To make your Brilliant Earth purchasing experience as stress-free as possible, they offer free shipping and returns on all U.S., U.K., and Canadian orders. In celebration of Earth Day from April 19th to April 22nd, you receive a complimentary diamond pendant with a purchase of over $500. To see terms for this special offer and to shop all Brilliant Earth selections, just go to brilliantearth.com slash ringermba. That's brilliantearth.com slash ringermba. Today's episode of Group Chat is also brought to you by Turo. Turo is a peer-to-peer car-sharing marketplace where you can book any car you want, wherever you want, from a community of local hosts. Turo is available in over 5,500 cities across the U.S., Canada, the U.K., and Germany, with over 9 million users worldwide. Choose the best car for you, often at a lower cost than traditional car rental agencies, and customize your experience for whatever your adventure demands. Turo has 850-plus unique makes and models available, including Tesla, Porsche, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Ferrari, Subaru, Toyota, and more. Whether it's a truck to help you on moving day, a swishy sports car for a luxurious weekend away, or a vintage van for a picturesque, perfect road trip, Turo lets you find the perfect vehicle for your next adventure. Turo has more than 350,000 vehicles listed globally, and many hosts offer to deliver the car right to you. Insurance options are available on every trip. Skip the rental counter with Turo. Download the Turo app, that's T-U-R-O, on the App Store or Google Play, or visit Turo.com. Get $25 off your first trip when you sign up for Turo and use promo code RINGER at checkout. Terms apply. And now, back to group chat. All right, we're back. The Warriors are up 69 to 48 right now in the second quarter. KD having a monster performance. He kind of called his shot, I guess. A little kind of a Babe Ruth moment in that press conference <laughs> that got tossed around for, I don't know, two days. Well, because he answered a question. <laughs> he answered he a question. thoughtfully answered a question <laughs> from another, from a peer. <laughs> yes. Um, or is it too late to get him the Nobel Prize? Or is it? <laughs> no, I think the voting is, is yeah. still to come. <laughs> But I think the big thing here is Kavon Looney stepping up, as we all predicted. No, this is kind of just Didn't going— Didn't you predict that? I, I mean, you did predict that. I've been saying it. It's not an original take, but, like, I definitely believe in it. What's the, like, the political equivalent of, like, saying Kavon— It's, like, predicting, like, the governor of Maryland race. Like, <laughs> it's, like, good job, like, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, the big thing is just you can definitely see his impact— as opposed to what Boogie Cousins was doing. I like to look at this series just in general as like a lens through which we can look for the entire postseason, which is just like it's been a nice postseason for like night-to-night volatility within teams and narratives. So it's like you just really don't know anyone yet. And even the Warriors, like giving up that huge lead and 
boogie going down, which is a shame, but like just the kind of like sense of uneasiness that seems to permeate that team right now, it's like it makes it just a little bit more like, gotta watch this just to make sure. I mean, we're recording this, we're recording this without a net. The Clippers could come back. You yeah, know? it's only 20 points. Yeah. So they've literally done it before. Last night after the Rockets game, I wrote my lead was like, hey, the Rockets could upset the Warriors. Yeah. Like it could really happen. Sure. And it, that Warriors upset was enough. Yeah. It's been building for a long time now, but no one has ever come back from that much in playoff history. And that should not be the greatest team in the history of basketball. Let's talk about this. Gun to your head right now. Warriors win the title? Yes. Well, like a gun to my head? Yeah, but if you, it's like a, <laughs> if you're going to like throw me a gummy bear. I then have like, this water bottle to your head right now, Haley O'Shaughnessy. <laughs> what is your answer? That doesn't work. You'd have to like give me some reward for taking the risk. I'll teach you how to bet later, but that's basically not how it works. It's not like Russian roulette over here. But no, if you were like, could it happen? Well, you, yeah. wrote, you wrote about the Rockets last night. Mm-hmm. And in that game, like I was blown away how quickly they've they've taken it to the Jazz. A team that kind of fools gold the past two years, but at the very least is a competent, well-run team that has some stuff going for it. And the Rockets looked better, not only on offense, but defensively. I can't remember the last time they looked this good. Yeah, so there are three takeaways. The defense is definitely one. The second one for me last night was their surrounding cast was very impressive, which is not something we've said about the Rockets all season. Our guy, Daniel. Exactly. Your guy, Daniel. Daniel. Clint Capella. And then the other thing is that a lot of why the Rockets fluctuated before was because all teams fluctuate when they have, you know, they're missing players. They rely on three-pointers that much, but they're not going to go up and down anymore as much as they did before because James Harden literally does not go up and down anymore. Yeah, well, they had to reimagine who they were a couple of times. You know, like, right. I mean, like the first couple weeks of the season was obviously this kind of like failed experiment. Then they're playing a lot without Paul and Harden goes into full hero ball, back-to-back MVP mode. And then they just like leveled out somewhere along the line where they became this like hyper-efficient, pretty deep, pretty flexible lineup and rotation of guys that I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm pretty surprised that they're just destroying the Jazz. I thought it was going to at least be like spunky and competitive, mm-hmm. but it looks like they're just like mopping the floor with them. I think we have to bring up the Jazz's defensive strategy, which is basically what the Bucks did, which is to take away Harden from the left and essentially give him free-for-all on the right, yeah. mm-hmm. which has failed them in a couple ways, mostly because, you know, Harden's one of the best players in the league, so he can hit you. He'll from figure mold. it out. Yeah, yeah, he'll figure it out. But, I mean, like I said, Harden is just not going to be this inconsistent player anymore. He is playing like an MVP. You know what I mean? He is an MVP. And I just feel like he is now someone I'm confident could lead them to a really competitive series with the Warriors. Maybe it's actually to their benefit. I mean, this is the kind of crap that we worry about, probably not what they worry about inside of a locker room, but maybe it's to their benefit that they have like flown a little bit under the radar as a team. You know, yeah, like that they Harden, struggled obviously, as a player has been, like, the, in the spotlight. But as a team, I think there was, like, a lot of concern trolling and, like, schadenfreude when they were, like, first losing in the beginning part of the season. But then once they got back into the playoff mix, I think people were like, yeah, they'll probably be, like, a four or five seed. And then they just kept rising and rising. And you, to see where they got, you're just kind of like, man, like, maybe, like, not having all this pressure on, this team is built to beat the Warriors in a seven-game series. It has to happen. Yeah. Now it's like, not only did they get the, they also get the Warriors in the second round, probably, which is like, 
Maybe they're rolling right now. Maybe they're feeling healthy, a little healthier than they did last year in the Western Conference Finals. I still really believe that this is the best possible matchup for them. If they're going to have to face the Warriors, they're going to want to see them two weeks earlier. You know what? You really hit it on the head that the kind of desperation, like, we are built specifically to counter them. We have to win. It was like they were built for one game. It was like an Olympic athlete right. who's like, I train my whole life to win this one race. And that game seven, then it was like, this is the worst failure in the world. Yeah. I think the difference is, and this sounds so simplistic, is that it looks like they're having fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think they look like the Rockets from the beginning of last season. Mm -hmm. There's like a certain spirit to how they're playing. And I think about the Warriors where they went into this season saying that they needed Boogie in order to give them a jolt, something to play for. And I, I don't think that could be overlooked when you have a veteran team that has been through the 82 game grind And the Rockets, while they haven't been together as long as the Warriors, they went through this all last year. They proved everything that they needed to prove. And it almost is working to their benefit that they weren't complete to start with. Mm -hmm. Because now you have guys like House and some of the other guys who they just are playing, they're injecting a certain energy into what they're doing. And the one thing I've noticed from these first two games, even the guys that have been around Harden for a few seasons now, are playing better than they ever have That's before. That's what I was, Tucker. I was going to actually say that it feels like they've also like detoxed a little bit off of their CP3 dependency because of that. Like, oh, we have to get them both involved. Yeah. CP3 is going to come, like, we're going to stagger. We're going to depend on him. He's going to change his game to match this system. And now I think they're almost like, it's it's just great to have him out there. If, he, if he's healthy to play, that's awesome. If not, we've been down that road before. Mm-hmm. It's not like this, like, oh, crap, we built this entire thing hoping that he was going to be the second the second gun in here, and now he hurt his quad, and we can't— And we, we spent all this money on him, yeah. and this has to be the year. Yeah, and yeah. I'm not going to lie. I fell into all of that. For sure. You they know, told us to. They told—that that was, like, the message. It was like, the Warriors made us increase our risk profile. We went out and got Chris Paul, and then we gave him this crazy contract after it. Yeah. We talk all the time about consistency and how a lot of the teams in the past— the best ones were the ones like the Spurs that just rolled over the same core. They knew how to play together. Mm-hmm. There are like little nuances that just cannot be overlooked there. And while things have been cycling for the Rockets, while some of these new guys have injected certain new things into what they do, Kenneth Freed even uh, has provided a lot of energy, and especially during those downtimes, you start to see guys master their craft around Harden. Like P.J. Tucker is shooting from the corners with no hesitation. Uh, Quinn Capella, like you even watch him like time his lobs and like the way that he and Harden have kind of this symbiosis. It's just like, it's it's really incredible. The core of their team is still the same one. Their top five players are still the same guy. It's Gordon, it's Harden, it's Paul, it's Capella, it's Tucker. Mm-hmm. And basically what they did is they just filled out- They got out, better at playing with each other. Right. They got better at playing with each other and they just filled out a bench- on the fly, which, as we were just talking about the Sixers, probably playoff fates more time than not are going to be dictated not by those bench guys, but these five guys. Even, like, think about how we talk about D'Antoni this year compared to where maybe we've talked about him before, where, like, Maury is essentially, like, D'Antoni has this job for as long as he wants it. That's the kind of, like, Spursian stability that you're talking about. That's not, like, there's not, there's not like, well, we'll see. You know, Mike, great offensive coach. Don't know if he can do it in the playoffs. Don't know if he has the defensive capabilities. Obviously, Bidzelic coordinates the defense. They brought him back. It was almost like Dante Skarnecchia coming back to coach the offensive line of the Patriots where they're just like, this is just how it has to work. But everything around Harden, you're right, all feels like everybody knows their role. Everybody's gotten 8% better at their role. And this is the result. So one thing I've been thinking about as a result of this, is this 
a selling point for the regular season as an event if you're the NBA. The fact that so much can change for a team like the Rockets over the course of an 82-game season. Or is it actually the opposite? And Are we going to hear people complain about it more? Because the Rockets pretty much didn't treat the, the first half of it seriously and just pre- pretty much just waited until the deadline in order to figure out their team. I don't even think it's that they were not treating it seriously. I'd put that more on a team like the Warriors. It's almost like the Rockets just couldn't figure it out. Like assigning like Mello, can you believe that that was earlier this season? I mean, I think that they have like a very, a very like creative and progressive way of thinking about it. And even if signing Mello seems regressive to people sitting in a podcast studio, like maybe Daryl was like, who knows? Who knows? Maybe this guy has a bunch of 26 point games in him and he's the difference between losing by eight and winning by six. I think it helps the regular season actually because you are seeing something grow. Mm-hmm. And if not even the Rockets, then just Harden. I mean, this guy came off an MVP season, had one of the most incredible regular seasons I've ever seen in my life. And now I'm just fully convinced that he is, even though he has this postseason reputation for kind of falling off or, as Stephen A. Smith said, looks like he's on drugs or got hit in the head or whatever he said. Jesus Christ. I have full confidence in him taking them as far as they can go. I'll say this too. If I'm the NBA— it's a glass half full, glass half empty thing because the Rockets actually got out of the way and let teams like the Nuggets and the Kings capture some headlines in the first half of the season and the second half of the season. We wound up getting to see a couple of different teams in the mix there that were really exciting. And you got to dream about like, ooh, is this the future? Is this like a page turning? Is this some, And then everything settled back down and we got kind of a mix of the new and the, and the old, quote unquote, for like at least the last few years. So you do get a Nuggets too. But, you know, we're seeing a couple of teams like the Rockets and and one of the teams I really want to talk about with tomorrow night is the Blazers. It's like, man, you know, maybe there is something to coaching and continuity and letting guys grow and letting guys like get to know each other over the course of a couple of seasons. Yeah, I mean, the Rockets are peaking at the right time and we'll get to the Blazers in a second. But it's interesting because it's almost like Daryl's found just like another market inefficiency. He's on record is basically saying that like his team does not need to be the best in the regular season. They just need to be the best in the playoffs. And also that you don't need to create your contender. I did not get that impression last year. In the offseason. Last year, though, I felt like he was like, we want want home court advantage. Sure, they hadn't proved it yet. But he knew what he had in Harden this year. He knew that Paul and Harden, the guts of the team, as we were just saying, was there. So he could throw darts with Melo. He could bring in MCW, Rivers, yeah. yeah, some of these other guys, and give them chances. He could fail because he had more of a runway to get to it. He had Dun- uh, Daniel House. I can never remember his name. Uh, <laughs> he had Dan- Dun- <laughs> <fucking> Daniel. <laughs> Daniel House. <laughs> he had Daniel House. You know, House. in my drinking games, one of them was like mispronunciation <laughs> was for really? Daniel House, and I thought of you. <laughs> Barry would just be blacked out. <laughs> I would be done right now. But he could keep him in the G League locked up and not up with the big league team because they would need him sooner. So mm-hmm. I, I just think it's interesting to look at it because like most of these teams, the Nuggets, for instance, are trading away draft picks in order to make sure they had something on day one. Daryl cared more about day 40. Well, I think that maybe part of not being worried about failing is because they had the biggest failure in the public's eye last playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's they true. They epically failed that game seven. That was a complete heartbreak. And yeah. yet they had made it to a seven-game series with the Warriors. Guys, why do we fall? 
<laughs> to get back up again. Yeah. Cue right. the Friday Night Lights music. <laughs> or Batman. Speaking of a team that's fallen recently. Huh? Huh? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, the Portland Trailblazers. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna jump ahead here. The Friday games, not exactly a robust slate. The Thunder Blazers series is my favorite series. Amazing. Yeah. On Friday we have three games yet again. Uh, the first one is a Toronto Raptors Magic game three. The Celtics are in Indy for Game 3, and the Blazers travel to Oklahoma City for that one. We're going to do a little something based on, on your mo- dating life? <laughs> my and millennial <laughs> dating life, which is to either swipe left or right on these series you based on our it. interests. You got to sell it. You got to be like, really believe in this. You're like, this is the best idea we've ever had. Swipe right. We. That was my <laughs> fucking idea. <laughs> We're just corny guys <laughs> tweeting at you. <laughs> Yeah, our other option for this was Haley just reading people's tweets. Which would be very entertaining, I just have to say. Specifically, guy tweets is the best way to describe them. Is it guys tweeting at you about the NBA? No, not tweeting at me. Oh, I'm just reading guys tweeting. Just overconfident guy (laughs) tweets, and they don't know how fucking wrong they are about the NBA because they're guys. And I don't want to tell you guys what's been instilled in you since birth, Mm. but it's too much confidence. Well, if there's one thing my dating life has shown, <laughs> disagree. I call that a little woman explaining. Yeah. Okay. All right, but the gist is we're swiping left and, and right on sure. these series based on our interests. Left, our enthusiasm, our enthusiasm. Yeah. Left would be a no. Get out of our live series. Right would be all right. Let's see what's up here. Let's canoodle. Um, <laughs> is that is that what you say first? Is that your first? Is that your version of "Hey, you up"? <laughs> that my that my opener. Yeah. Sub, okay, sub I'll go babe, first. Okay, go for it. Because I'm ending that right now. <laughs> I'm swiping left on Toronto, Orlando. Okay. Toronto, I'm ready for them to move on. I hate when this happens. I hate when like there's an upset game and then you're just like, so now we just have to wait longer for you to destroy these people. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I feel about this. I think that the most important thing to watch for in this series still is can Kyle Lowry just bring it consistently? <laughs> right. You know, he has to for minimum three more games mm-hmm. um and but really it begins and ends there i don't have many other questions about the raptors against the magic other than that because the magic in my opinion are so limited what about toronto stepping into that historic cauldron of a of an atmosphere in orlando right where they could taste blood in their mouth they've been waiting for a playoff matchup in the house that devos built you know, they're just <laughs> chomping at the bit at the Amway Center. Is Kevin Clark going? Yeah. It's a game oh, four, good. yeah. A four, because he's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's going to reveal like a bunch about Kevin's personal <laughs> schedule, but yeah, he's going to game four. <laughs> I, I went to the lovely Amway Center once. I had never been to an arena that pumps so much artificial noise. Really? Yeah. Can you tell like that? Yeah. Like, I, I rarely can tell. I'm sure they'll be jacked for it. I mean, I wasn't trying, I mean, I am making fun of them, but. Do you think that there's any, like, chance that Orlando could surprise Toronto with, like, a bunch of, you know, crazy atmosphere there? I just want to say, Aren't like, you, aside, like, a secondary Orlando citizen? Is like, your second home? No. No? <laughs> Don't you go to Orlando a lot? My mom lives there. Yeah. But I never— Like, lived. hang out. Well, actually, I lived there for a little bit in high school. But anyway, I want to say that when I was living in Indiana— in middle school. You're really globetrotting over here. I've lived many places. The places in the country that aren't very fascinating. I've definitely <laughs> lived there. Yeah. Um, we had this 
place called like Perfect North life. Slopes, and they pumped <laughs> fake snow. Oh yeah, and you know, same as fake noise. Not the same thing. It still works. No, it still works. Like I I still think it'll be intense. If anything, they need to pile that on to, I do think that it'll be an entertaining crowd because this has been a while. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be a fun game. Do I think that Toronto's going to lose again? No, absolutely not. Right. Did you live close to, what is it? Is it Christmas? I lived in Celebration. Oh, that's dope. Yes. That's the extended Disney like community. Yes, because my mom works at Disney World. Yeah. Are you guys swiping left or right on the series? Swiping left. I'm going to swipe right. Because the, the Magic have such a found money approach to this entire thing. Like, how awesome was it watching MCW rise from the dead? Yeah, I know. With a bloody nose, just like going like full zombie apocalypse on the Raptors and the referees. I was definitely entertained by the Magic, but it was just, oh, yeah. I, it's Augustine? just like, let's get this done with its five games. Like, it's a fleeting moment. moment. Yeah, the, I guess the one advantage is that's the 4 p.m. game, so there's no like conflict. You actually, sure, if right. you want to watch basketball, you were watching that game. Um, but the next game of, of the evening, uh, 5.30 p.m. Pacific, uh, the Celtics are in Indiana. Things not going particularly well for the Boston Celtics these days. Which is funny because they're up 2-0. They are up 2-0, but two of the ugliest games of the series thus far, I don't think anybody's broken 100 points in either of these games. Uh, the Celtics have stormed back both times. Kyrie Irving did some stuff. Al Horford filling in the gaps, but... I think against any other team, maybe even Orlando, they would probably be like at least tied. Yeah, give me my next paycheck on this not being a sweep. Okay. Not really, because I have to pay rent, but (laughs) seriously, like they look so vulnerable. They're dying to get beat. Yeah. They're like kick our asses. If the Pacers could could consistently get it together and maybe like score three points in the third quarter, Mm -hmm. which they were fine the last game in the third quarter. Then yeah, there are many universes in which Boston is down 0-2. So what's your swipe? Oh, I'll swipe right um, because I think it's interesting to, as it has been all season, to watch Boston just utterly not be able to figure it out. I'm gonna swipe left just to be discerning. Like I, I'm not like super <laughs> obviously not into Boston. I'm not really that into this Pacers team, and this is not like a fun series for me. But I, I'm very curious to see what happens in Indy. You don't like b- watching Boston struggle. Uh, nothing about them makes me happy or even like like happy to see them fail. Like it's just like because I know that they're lurking out there in my nightmares for the Sixers. It's mature of you. Well, not until a potential Eastern Conference Finals, right. which I don't think either of them are going to see. So the one thing you see a lot on dating profiles. Oh, says blood in his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> just for a second, I just imagined losing to the Celtics <laughs> in the Conference Finals and how miserable not only like my emotional interior life would be but also just like my day-to-day here your would be because Bill would like go and mm-hmm. be like this is great I'm lo- like I, I would just I would be so personally upset right yeah so so <laughs> interesting transition here uh, so one of the things you see often on dating profiles is that uh, uh, women often like to say they like adventures which often means that that j- that they just like to go to Runyon Canyon. <laughs> so, 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 like very basic things, but people love adventures. Just trust me on this. This series is an adventure, my Have friends. Have you ever thought about like going out on a date with a girl who's like, I love adventures, and like you're like, I saw that you said you love adventures. So I booked us a skydiving I trip. Booked us an archaeological trip. <laughs> Where we're going to get chased by, like, Montagnard <laughs> Indians through Columbia. Is that like, a package that's available? Well, no, but it's like the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And maybe it's like you want to go on an adventure. Right. Guys, you've known me. One of those Antarctica cruises. Yeah. They, like, go on for 35 days. Yeah. It's a, it's a slightly intense first date. 
Uh, you've known me for long enough to know that I'm barely getting out of my house for a first date, let alone, <laughs> you know, going to uh, a different country. You're like, we're on the Amazing Race this season. I have- <laughs> <laughs> Bundle up! I would actually vary. If you come to me and you're like, I need two months off, I'm going on a first date on The Amazing Race, like, you can have it, honestly. Dope. Yeah. All right, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, I've definitely gone on dates, like, in different, like, on travel. It's actually helpful for that. If you want to explore an area, like, I tra- I solo travel. I've done that a few times. Yeah. If you just want to be sure. And you then go on a date when you're on the trip. Yeah. That's cool. Smart. Guys. <laughs> you get good restaurant rides. Yes. Yeah, just some some tips. So yeah, I'm swiping right on this series. I mean, I'm just kind of fascinated still about this Celtics team because you could see it in fits and starts that the talent is still there. They finally pivoted to the starting lineup that we thought they were all going to like play for the majority of the season with Hayward, uh, Brown, and Tatum in there alongside Irving and Horford. I don't have much hope because it pretty much seems like the past two games have been totally reliant on Kyrie being Cavs era Kyrie and just going off for like at least a half of a game. But I, I want to be there when it happens. Mm-hmm. I, I still think that's the the big inflection point of the season is if and when the Celtics figure that out. So, all right, one last one. Uh, the Trailblazers and the Thunder. The Trailblazers are up to probably the biggest breakout stars of the postseason. I don't Game know how you- time! People should take this series to help themselves study better. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. <laughs> This is like an amazing stimulant. This this game, this series (laughs) is awesome. They're starting not to like each other, which is the best part. Like right when that first Steven Adams, Dame Lillard, like, hey, don't ever do that again. Like that's awesome because it's definitely going to happen again. Uh, Paul George may or may not be able to lift his arm above his head. I can't tell. Uh, We're still waiting for like what's what's Russ going to really, when's he going to imprint himself on this? And in the meantime, powered by... One of my favorite crowds in the NBA, easily, at the Moda Center. Those guys just went straight up heroes. They were, like, amazing in these first two games. And they're, like, one of the like one of the, my favorite backcourts I think I've ever seen when they're really on. And it, it's just, like, I love the way that Portland plays basketball. I really have a soft spot for Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma's crowd is going to be out of their minds. I really just hope we get, like, a 75% Paul George so we can see what what he could do because these have been consistently over the course of the season my favorite like my favorite games have been the Portland Thunder games yeah Yeah, I mean they're just two of the most intense players in the league yeah they're so polarizing yeah Damian Lillard and Russell Westbrook are the chip on my shoulder personified and they have folk followings in their hometowns like you can't tell anybody from Oklahoma or Portland anything about those guys this is one of the biggest like fuck you performances I've seen in a very long time the Dame one from Damian Lillard just especially given the history, the recent history, where they've gotten blown out of their two first-round series of the past two years. Uh, Last year, just Dame had the worst postseason of his career thus far. Uh, And he's just come out and almost like has made it a point to not only play well, but to show up Russ Mm -hmm. in the process. Uh, There was a pretty like clear example of that where after Russ missed the three-pointer with Dame guarding him, Dame clapped like, in front of him, goes back the other way and shoots it from the logo, basically. It's like, I don't know, like, it's basically what we loved in Westbrook from a few years ago. Dame is kind of, like, taking his, on his, his persona in these playoffs. Yeah, it's so much fun. That was 
those possessions were so much fun. And also, they I don't think it was like a shoving match, but they kind of like exchanged words at one point. Yeah. I jumped on my couch. It's gonna Can be- you imagine those two getting into it? This is going to be the clo- This is the easiest one where you're just like, this, there's definitely going to be a pretty intense shoving match in this series, just because like you have to understand like the crowds in both of these places are a lot like it's way closer to college basketball than it's pro basketball in those two gyms. Yeah, the Thunder haven't played well these past two games, but they haven't gotten blown out. They've been in both of these games, and I wonder if the crowd gets into it or if we just see glimmers of old school Paul George. It, they're pretty much like dependent on two things that they don't have right now. It's Paul George being healthy and three point shooters. Mm-hmm. But you know things happen. Certain like threes go down that you wouldn't expect them to. People get hot. George could, I don't know, maybe the extra day off would have helped for some reason. I'm he's got those huge ice packs on his shoulders all the time. Right, and he looks like a Dothraki so with all the, tape. the yeah. tape all over him. But I don't know. I I think there's a good chance we look back on this series, and this is kind of the moment where Dame like sheds that reputation as this a guy is, like, who's this like goes a back to the rockets guy. thing you're talking about where it's just like i understand that we're we're always in this mode where we're like the last thing i saw this person do is desample all the sample size i need so we're probably overreacting a little bit like maybe maybe in the next round like there's a come down to earth moment if the, if he gets to the second round but dame is is so consistent that it's hard to see that incremental improvement but i really think we are seeing it i really think that this is like a I never want to feel the way I felt last season against the Pelicans. And that's like, I'm going to do everything in my power to make that not happen again. No, exactly. It's like we're seeing a narrative change in real time. Mm -hmm. And it's going to change for one of these teams. And for the other team, it's going to be like a Greek tragedy. Yeah. You know, they're stuck in the same position that they were. And I don't want to be so cruel as to say like made fools out of themselves but they're still in the they're out in the first round yeah these two I mean, teams I think went that, out in the first I round I think 100% Paul George should give all, Oklahoma a little bit like they should go home and be like well we didn't have Paul George but but I that's mean, another first round out I know I know I mean but yeah you're right they, they have Paul George for the next what five years yeah it's so much fun because like you said these are both cult crowds mm-hmm. but I really want it to happen for the Blazers I think you could tell from our enthusiasm about this series that uh, we're pretty excited about this one. We're going to call this one our NBA Watch of the Night. We do this every week. So the Portland Trailblazers are playing the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, on ESPN at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Guys, where are you swiping on this game? Can I propose on the first date? <laughs> well, there is an option, if you want to go into this, of a super like. I'll super like this. <laughs> I just liked their Instagram from like 37 weeks. All right. Yeah, you could definitely tell that we are excited for this one. That's our watch of the night. And remember, if you want to watch every NBA game, subscribe to NBA League Pass on NBA.com or from your preferred video provider. All right. I think that's it for this edition, this late night sexy time edition of NBA group chat uh, for Haley, for Chris, for Iceman on the ones and twos. I'm Justin. We will see you next time. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.